Hello and welcome to a special NAB 2015 edition of From the Mailbag. My name is Patrick Inhofer. I'm Robbie Carmen. I'm Dan Moran, and uh, in this uh, mailbag, we're going to talk about software. So I guess if you are a colorist like us, the first thing that you run to when you get to NAB is Resolve. And of course, this year we have Resolve 12. Uh, I think we all seen it coming. Yeah. yeah. I think we weren't expecting a, a minor update. We thought, okay, they're going to do something. But of course, they went and changed the UI again. <laughs> oh, those guys. <laughs> they just love making training products easy to record, right? Yeah. yeah exactly. I think we can probably all agree, though, that it is a step in the right direction. Apart from possibly the curves, I'm still a bit out on that. I'll, I need to kind of try them out myself, but... Um, yeah, in general, it looks, it's slicker. It's probably more easy to use. Um, and you can't argue there's definitely a ton of new features. You know, I agree, Dan. Uh, let's just be clear, though. There was more grading software than just Resolve. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Nucoda and Baselight and all those tools were also updated. But for the, yes, for the bulk of us, Resolve, SpeedGrade, things of that nature. You know, I got a chance to go over to the booth and I purposely sought somebody out that I didn't know, you know, because we know a lot of the, the demo artists and that kind of stuff. And I wanted a kind of a fresh look on it. And, you know, I'm really... I don't know how to describe this. I'm really of mixed minds of the, of the software at the moment. And I haven't had my hands on it yet. Haven't played with a project on it. Uh, and my, my real feeling is that, you know, kind of this is supposed to be color software. You know, it's kind of, in my opinion, kind of turning into a little bit of everything software from the editorial side of things and, you know, audio side of things. Like that, that kind of hurt my pride a little bit when it was like, oh, we now have this full featured, you know, audio side of things. And don't get me wrong. I think to the market that Blackmagic is really selling stuff to, right? The, the you know, ed, the Predator, the, you know, sole operator, the small production company, that kind of thing. All of this stuff makes perfect sense, right? But having yeah. learned, you know, the Da Vinci on, you know, an 888 and a 2K and all this kind of stuff <laughs> when, it, you know, these were $500,000 boxes. I mean, maybe I'm just getting old, but I'm kind of like, isn't this supposed to be color correction software, not editorial and audio and effects? And my opinion is that I don't know what my opinion is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still not into it enough. It might turn out that I get this piece of software in hand and I'm going, dude, I can do everything I want finally in this one tool, the super tool, this mythical super tool that Apple and Adobe and, uh, and Avid have been trying to create for years. And I kind of hope that's the case. But at the same time, I hope they don't forget in the long run what really made Resolve Resolve, and that was the stuff on the color side of it. Well, and this comes down to every year, you know, you, you go down to the South Hole at NAB, and the first thing you do is you get off the escalator and you take a look at the huge giant banner on the South Hall and say, <laughs> all right, what does Black Magic Marketing think about Resolve this year? And color correction always falls in the and more, right? So it's online editing and more. Now it's audio finishing and more. And this used to bother me. And this year it didn't. I, I, I looked at it and I'm like, all right, I know there's going to be color correction updates in there. Like all I care about is the color side of it, not really the editorial side. And and so all I'm looking for is can I work faster and have you given me new creative opportunities? That's what I'm looking for. And do you feel like you got yeah, that? Yeah, I do. I feel like okay. um I, I like the 3D tracker which I think was sorely needed. I I like um the node nesting which I think was sorely needed. 
And so you can take three nodes and nest them down into one node and then color grade on top of that nest. Yeah, that's that is. So I could that see that, cool. like, you know, I talk about my three-node structure. Well, you know, I do my base grade. If that takes two or three nodes to do my initial contrast, saturation, and color balance, I can shrink that Collapse down it, right. and then do my shot matching on that node that's been collapsed down. Now, the one thing I didn't see is that can you step back into that nest? I didn't see that. I'm guessing you have to be able to undo it. I mean, that's what they've done on the editorial side. On the editorial side, you can collapse timelines and then uncollapse in place. I would be stunned if they didn't have a uncollapse in place for the node tree, the nested node tree. Um, so I'm thinking, yes. Also, they did the thing of you can finally clean up your node tree with one command. That was the first thing I ever <laughs> asked for a black magic. I said, this thing, wh what do I do when I make a mess? And the guys were like, uh, clean it up yourself. And, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and now for Mixing Light members who've been following me on my LAB series, you know that one of my big complaints on the current version of Resolve is I can't take go into curves and move the endpoints. And that makes lab corrections, LAB corrections, really hard to do, especially that AB uh, expansion, the way you can in Photoshop, where you can freely manipulate those endpoints. Well, now we have that. And so I was very, very thankful for that. Uh, it makes LAB grading a lot more efficient in DaVinci Resolve. I just found it really annoying to work with. I forgot I used to be able to do that. That was the thing that Avid editors got used to. I used to work in a DS, and you could, you basically, you're taking the black point and sliding it forwards, isn't it, towards the right instead of up and down? Precisely. And it's almost like in a histogram, if you take, you know, that black point and move it to the right or whatever, you know, you can, that's exactly what you're doing. And in fact, for, in my mind, it'll make transitioning off of, let's say, Symphony or DS, now that that's dead, yeah. DS, onto the Resolve <laughs> yeah, exactly. a lot easier because now the curves you used to build, you can build them here in DaVinci Resolve. So I want to tell you my, my favorite new things that I saw besides this general stuff and see what you guys think on, on it as well, as well. So one of my, uh, my big, new, amazing things was this 3D keyer. You mentioned the 3D yeah, tracker. Yeah. This keyer thing is amazing because how many times have you been adjusting qualifiers, right? When you could literally just take like, like, a, like a markup tool, like a pen yeah. tool and go, no, <laughs> it's this dude's face right here. And you just like make a line on it, yep. right? That, that to me is so intuitive and so much easier to use. Not that we'll never get away from qualifiers per se, but that and then the new sort of um, uh, matte enhancement tools or refining tools uh, I thought was, uh, was a really big thing as well. The other thing that I'm really kind of uh, interested in but not sure, and we, we've, we've talked about this offline, how it's really going to pan out, is this Resolve color management yeah. stuff. Um, oh, dude, turn it off. Yeah. Turn it off first time. Not, it, well, I don't know how well, I feel about it. That's my feeling. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how I feel about it because, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we've done a lot of work and we, we've been, you know, just this year at NAB, we had some classes where we featured uh, the ACES workflow, right? And ACES, if you don't know, is the Academy Color Encoding Specification and it's finally reached version 1.0. And yes, that's the Academy, the people that make the Oscars. Academy Awards, the Oscars. They finally have come out with that. And, you know, ACES is cool in concept, right? You know, it's the idea that, like, you profile a camera and that you profile an output device and that you're working in this, you know, huge color space. But in my mind, it really depends on you know, the camera guys doing their thing and the output guys doing their thing. And there's like, there's margin for error. So like to me, this resolve color management thing, again, not having used it yet, 
I kind of felt like a shot across the bow against aces because uh, if it's another standard, I guess. Well, if you look, if you look at a lot of the documentation from aces, there's members of the consortium, right? The you know. Ari, the Joshua Pine, right? And, Ari and Baselight, and who you know these individual color scientists and all that kind of stuff. Uh, look closely. Do you know who's missing? Black Magic. <laughs> Black Magic. Black Mat. Oh. Black Magic is missing. And what's really particular about peculiar about that rather is that they've gotten into the camera game over the past couple of years. So like you would think that they would be a perfect mark for developing their own IDTs for the Aces workflow. My guess, and it's simply a guess, is that they said, there's so much bureaucracy here, there's so much technicality here, and we sell, yeah. we sell to a mass market. You know what we're going to do? We're going to make this really simple and do our own version of Aces. Oh, that is uh, Grand Petty in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Screw Aces, we'll do our own version. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I, th I thought that was kind of really telling. Again, I want to reserve judgment until I actually... I'm able to to play with it uh, in, in more part. The other thing that I thought that was really cool, small kind of thing, you can now actually take the light box and put it on a separate screen. Oh, dude, that's way cool. <laughs> that's way oh, cool. I missed I that. Oh, you. that's cool. I can't tell you. I just love to have that on all the time. I can't tell you how many times I switch back and forth between light box and the regular Grady mode. So uh, I thought that was really cool. Another one for me that I thought was really excellent, um, and again, we'll see this if the proof's in the pudding. You know how I've, I've talked about in previous mailbags, kind of having my ProRes dongle as, you know, my, my older Mac and, you know, working on uh, shared storage. Now, they couldn't demo this perfectly, but there is this idea of remote rendering now in Resolve 12. Yeah, where, that's cool. where you can basically just send a project to another Resolve system to be rendered. I wasn't yeah. quite clear if that meant moving media or how that exactly works. I, I did ask about that. Yeah. It has to be shared storage. It has to be. Like, you have to be able to... Like, all the media paths have to be at the same point. So it's it's quite limited in that sense that you have to have, like, a So it's kind of, like, set up the normal so edit collaboration. And now we have, within that context, whatever the restrictions on edit collaboration are, we now have render collaboration. Yeah, that's interesting because I mean that's one problem I run into with mixed. Uh, you know, so in our place we have you know Linux, Windows, and Mac, and unfortunately, different paths, and unfortunately yeah. the file paths are all different. So that might uh, maybe I'll still have to do it the uh, the existing way that I uh, I currently do it. And then I think the last thing, especially for I mean, because after all, guys, probably most of our members are probably on the Mac you know on the Mac side of things. Um, I don't know. This probably went really under the radar. Uh, but they now have 64-bit support for QuickTime on Mac OS X. Uh, so, oh, that is big. So it's no longer yeah. this, you know, do you guys remember all those errors that people have gotten for years with, you know... Like GPU memory exhausted. Well, no, it's not so much that. It's more of like the QuickTime renderer couldn't do X, oh, Y, Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And a lot of that was tied to just the antiquated nature of... Uh, QuickTime support. So I think that's going to be pretty big too. Now, Dan, was there anything in Resolve 12 you looked at and you're like, yeah, I don't know about this? If I had to be honest, I'm still, I'm hung up on the curves because I've made a career out of curves. <laughs> uh, and it's like, it's actually quite simple. And I think you, you nailed it. And uh, when you were talking about it before, it's more button clicks. Before, like in, in the current version, you can just grab it. For members who might not have seen the demo of this, Dan, why don't you explain what they've done that's different than in Resolve 11 and earlier. Yeah, so if you have used Photoshop, the the way the curves are laid out, that's how they are in the new version. They're overlaid. And they're overlaid, they're overlaid the together. Right. So it's like one super curve that has, you know, one curve to rule them all. It's uh, Y and then R, G, and B, uh, which is cool if you're doing minor corrections or, you know, quick corrections. But what I liked about the existing curves is uh, 
it's very simple to see what, firstly, what you've done. You can see all the curves laid out in front of you. There's one for each channel. Um, and then secondly, it's just quick to like just jump between them. And I tend to unlink my uh, Y, R, G, and B so I can do individual corrections per channel. Uh, and the problem I have with the new one is uh, to even see them, you almost have to pull them out of the way. Like, you know, if you don't want to turn them all off, you have to kind of click it and pull one channel up and one down so you can start setting points. And it just kind of broke my my flow. You know, like when you think in the software that you use every day, you think, oh, I want to make that brighter and slightly less magenta. Yeah. I do it automatically. And then in the new version, I kind of went, hmm. Well, do you, think okay. that, do you think that's a muscle memory thing that eventually you'll just be able to kind of just buy into? Or do you think it's a really kind of... Oh, yeah. Yeah. What would be sweet is if they did like a, you know, imagine like a keyboard shortcut, like one, two, three on, or zero, one, two, three on the number pad. And that would turn channels on and off or, or you know, select it. That would make me happy. Or even better if they, I mean, I kind of get why they did it for screen real estate purposes. Like even better oh, yeah. if they had that, what, what do we call that button? The Gigantor yeah. button, right? Well, that's my big oh, sadness yeah. on it is right. that the Gigantor mode no longer exists. Only because I love the name Gigantor. Or. <laughs> well, maybe maybe <laughs> the default is the overlay mode, but then they can add something in a dot release or something that when you press the Gigantor mode, that's when you you know it uh, busts back out into the the separate curves. Actually, one one more thing on the curves. It's it, this is really picky, but do you guys remember before they put the handles in it? So Resolve Twelve has Bezier handles. You could never break the curves in Resolve. They always looked reasonably good, no matter what you did. My big fear is with these new extended handles that they're going to turn inside out and break like other software. Well, that's yeah, that's my problem with curves in general is that, I mean, you're right that it was generally harder to break the curves and have image degradation and resolve uh, with those curves. But still, mm. I mean, it's still possible to do, you know, if, oh, definitely you know, is, if, you, yeah. if you make, if you make uh, control points too close together and you're right, like, I think that's my main problem with curves is that you start adding a thousand control points to manipulate parts of the image. And next thing you know, the image is contouring and falling apart. Like and, and that's why I love Robbie about your explanation of speed grade and it's 12-way color corrector. You're like, they, didn't, they never really needed curves in there. And even though they just put them no. in, it's you've got all your points. It's like you've got 12 points that you're manipulating. And the math is done. They do the math in such a way it's almost impossible to break an image the way you could if you were to put nine points on a curve. Now, speaking of speed grade, I, have, I, I, I don't have speed grade news, but I do have... Uh, Premiere Pro and other news. Now you guys know, of course, and we've just posted a couple of insights on this, um, that I was lucky enough, I was uh, really honored to be asked by Adobe to come speak at the Adobe booth and the, the big theater and all that kind of stuff. And uh, thank you guys for your support coming down to heckle me a couple of times. That was nice. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. But uh, Adobe is taking a really interesting tact on color. They're putting color at the forefront. And this kind of just makes sense. I mean, over the past few years, you know, since the purchase of Eridos and Speedgrade, They've been attempting to integrate color into the rest of the suite, you know, Premiere and After Effects and other tools quite, uh, quite forcefully and dramatically. And, you know, they've done things like uh, direct link in the past couple of years, making, you know, kind of renderless workflows really easy um, and things of that nature. This year, and they did a sneak peek, and I have an insight uh, that I've just posted on sort of uh, what I showed at the booth, that sneak peek. Uh, they have a whole new Lumetri color panel, and this is basically taking the underlying color science of Speedgrade, this 32-bit floating point precision, what they call the Lumetri Deep Color Engine, and putting that into a really easy-to-use set of tools. Um, I, I think you guys have seen it uh, based on my booth presentation, but this is really kind of like Lightroom, right? It's like you talk, yeah. you know, you toggle open a section and you have some controls. You toggle open another section, and you can use as much as you want or as little as you want. 
And the big things for me here is that it all operates in real time. You know, things like hue saturation curves and the three-way curve, you know, three-way controls. All of this stuff has been simplified, but it just feels like it's just much more like powerful, if that makes any sense. And I think that's one of the things that Adobe is particularly good at is they're taking like, I don't want to say it's dumbing it down because they really haven't dumbed it down, but they take what has traditionally been a problem for editors, learning a dedicated color application, right? And all the workflows involved in that. And they've gone, no, we're going to give you 95% of that power here in the editorial tool. And I think that's really freaking cool. Um, you know, and besides that, I, again, another insight that I've done, you guys know about Project Candy by now. Uh, Pro yeah. You know, Project Candy is a great way to, on your mobile device to be able to capture tonality in an image and then create a LUT with it and then, you know, use that LUT as a starting point. Uh, and the Adobe workflow, either in After Effects or Premiere or whatever, as a starting point for your grade. So, in my opinion, Adobe was uh, just like Blackmagic was, um, you know, also operating full, you know, uh, at full speed when it comes to color this year. I think so, except of course for no news really on speed grade, other than it now inherits. <laughs> The corrections yeah. <laughs> out of Premiere. So I'm like, the big yeah. speed gray news is it's Premiere Pro, you know? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I don't have any yeah, inside knowledge about this, but re but but reading the tea leaves, I, I never, ever thought that uh, Adobe purchased Iridos for speed grade. I mean, I, I, loved, <laughs> I love the developers. I mean, we all know them, and they're great dudes. Uh, but at the end of it, you know, it was just kind of... Very German and kind of over-engineered, you know what I'm saying? And I and I think that if you take a look at again the market that Adobe faces, and now I think you know for all intents and purposes they've kind of become the number one NLE on the market, right? I, I don't think that they ha they have to start thinking big box, you know, big you know big picture, and I don't think they're thinking about us as colorists. Uh, but what I do like, in, 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 and therefore they're sort of kind of, you know, leaving speed grade by the wayside. But what I do like is that they're not, unlike some other tools that we'll talk about in just a second, uh, they're not minimizing the importance of color. Very much the opposite. Uh, they're putting it right to the forefront. Now, that was kind of a dig, Pat. Uh, of course, you got a lot of heat on this past week. Uh, this is right after NAB. This past week of uh, your Tau of Color newsletter. Tell us a little bit about Final Cut Pro. 10.2. Yeah, it dropped while we were at NAB, I think the Monday of NAB. And so I spent a little bit of time, and I got to give a huge shout out to the SCP Works guys. They're based on the West Coast, uh, and they're kind of a reseller supporter of Final Cut, you know, pretty high-end Final Cut 10 workflows. And they put together a kind of mini conference. So I was over there, and, and I, uh, I, I saw a couple of the presentations, and one of the things, the big picture thing I walked away, while the 10.2 update did a lot of really great things in terms of enabling us to build actual color pipelines within Final Cut 10, what it also did was minimize color. It basically disappeared it off the UI. Um, you know, it used to be that you open up the inspector and what was there? You had the effects tab. You had the effect stack, then you had the color stack, and then you had all of your, you know, crops and scales and all of that was all right, right there in right, the inspector. Right. In 10.2, it's all the same except the color stack disappeared. I think this is, uh, and again, you can read more on Pat's, uh, Pat has a blog post that we'll share in the uh, show notes of this episode on this. I think you were right on about this, Pat. I mean, I think that to take away 
that functionality as kind of like kind of hide it, if you will, as an, an I look at these as kind of like intrinsic effects, yep. right? Like inherent exactly. effects that every clip has. And to make you go back to the idea that you have to kind of like apply this to something and or use a direct keyboard shortcut uh, to apply it, which, you know, as we know, not everybody uses keyboard shortcuts to do so, just seems weird to me. And I'm not, you know, like I thought that uh, Final Cut, uh, the Final Cut guys were doing a, an amazing UI job for a long time. Like, so like, I don't know, like in your opinion, is this motivated by UI enhancements? Like they didn't have enough room to do something? Or do you think this is motivated motivated by some other, you know, reason that we don't, are not privy to? The funny thing is I think they took almost the exact same tack that Premiere Pro did for 2015, but they implemented it differently. In other words, here's the problem they had. In the inspector, you had the effects stack and then the color stack, and the effects stack could not be reordered to happen after color. So uh, if you do your base grade, your shot matching, and now you want to create a look and grab one of those preset looks, they happen before all of your color grading. And so it makes it almost impossible to apply those looks and get consistent re results across an entire scene. You've got to rebuild everything. And so to fix that problem, they said, well, let's just make the color board an effect like layer. Effect. Yeah, it's an effect layer. Right, right, and we right. can reorder the effects. And you absolutely can, and it works terrifically. It's how I would want it to work. And like Adobe Premiere Pro CC 2015, which is, say, that five times, um, right. <laughs> like what they did in Premiere Pro, the effect automatically gets applied to the effect stack when you start manipulating the color board. Oh, so if I if I apply a sh keyboard shortcut to jump over, I think it's like Command Six exactly. or something like that, to to jump over to the color board and I start manipulating something, it's automatically applied. Yes, when you jump back out oh, into good. the effects stack, it's there in the effects stack. The problem is what Premiere Pro did is they've got those workspace buttons up the top, and so it actually you know you jump into the color workspace and you see all your other alternate workspaces, and so color has priority; it has visual oomph there. What Final Cut did is they yeah. just buried it as either a keyboard shortcut you have to discover or listen to us talk about or watch some, some tutorial about, or you have to find it in the never-ending list of effects that's listed in the effects uh, palette. So they've made it a lot harder to find, which means they've de-emphasized it in my mind, at least visually. I, I'm not saying that they didn't think about the color workflow. In fact, this UI change came about as a result of thinking about the color workflow. It's just that visually, I, I'd like to see them refine it so that color is more front of mind. Because frankly, in, at, with cameras shooting raw, shooting flat, all of these workflows require as part of a basic editorial choice of contrast. Color, yeah, right. You need yeah, to expand yeah. your contrast, man. And and so it should be right there. I liked how uh, the guys at Apple do also did a little thinking. And again, I think they're thinking about it. Uh, they revamped the scopes. Yeah, so there's scopes a lot more great. configurability. Yep. Yeah, much more. And I've always liked those scopes. I think those scopes are pretty top-notch. So that was pretty nice as well. All right, guys. So Resolve, we got Premiere, we got Final Cut 10. One thing that has is totally unrelated, well, kind of tangentially related, I guess, uh, to the world of color is uh, our buddies Jason and Josh Diamond, along with their partner Emery Wells, 
just came out with a – how would you describe it? It's almost like asset management collab- mm. collaboration tool. Uh, and it's getting a lot of traction. And they were actually sh- they were actually showing this at the um, at the Red Booth, and that is Frame IO. Now, Dan, I know that you have actually had a chance to use Frame IO. Give us the lowdown. Give us your impressions. So, yeah, when I got invited, I thought, why not? It's a bit of fun. Uh, and then after using it for a while, I realized it's actually amazing. Um, it depends, like, I've never used, like, a client approval tool like this before, so it's all quite new to me. Um, but I have noticed there is this kind of evolution. So at Smoke and Mirrors, we have this, like, 300 terabyte FTP. It was built so, oh, you can download anything, anytime you want. Now when you send clients an FTP link, they're like, what? What's FTP? Where do I download it? It doesn't work on my Yeah, phone. they only get Dropbox and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Google Docs and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So then, okay, then you get into Dropbox and then you get into, like, sharing with multiple accounts and this person can't get access. Uh, obviously, you can, you know, streamline that. And then, you know, say when you work with something like Frame.io, um, it's really cool. You basically get a web GUI. You draw, like, kind of drag the file in that you want to upload. It uploads. Um, and then when someone views it, there's a little text box. And as soon as you start typing, it pauses the video. And it puts that comment at that uh, time code. So it's like it's like a marker based, uh, like time code marker based thing. Yeah, exactly, and it, it's ridiculously good. I, I worked uh, with a friend of mine, Simon Blackledge. He's like maybe three hundred miles away up in Manchester to another post house, uh, and it was really cool to just kind of like keep it open on the side screen, and whenever he commented, I could just click on the what's new. And it's like, oh, this bit's a bit too dark. So I could just jump into my resolve, change it. You can put loads of different file types up there as well, which is cool. So it's basically like a web portal with previews and asset management. And Do you know what the pricing is on that? It kind of ramps up pretty reasonably. It's almost comparable to Dropbox, really. Uh, if you want to try it, it's free. Uh, but I think that's capped to one project. Then after that, it's going to be uh, cost. So basically, I think it goes up to like $150 a month for 400 gig of storage and unlimited collaborators and projects. Oh, that's cool. So it's a cost you just kind of bill out to your clients as part of a project basis type of yeah thing. like there's a good middle level i think it was 25 dollars, which was uh, unlimited projects again and it had a limit of 25 people kind of collaborating with you and 50 gig storage but that's pretty good for 25 dollars a month yeah you know, absolutely it's, it's huge um so i, I have a feeling that's going to be the one to watch uh and it's hard now to go back to my say professional work at smoke where i have to we transfer everything and i have to send them an email saying please send me feedback <laughs> and you know it's kind of like after having that little bite of like the good life coming back to the the other world was kind of like oh and it was yeah it's slow and clunky again i guess so guys there's probably what like another billion pieces of software that we saw on the show floor at nab but these were kind of our highlights uh feel free to use the comments by the way if you saw something at nab if you were there we were rolling around around the show floor all week and it was really great uh seeing a lot of uh you guys our members uh on the show floor as well so guys, when we come back, we got one more little installment uh, this week, and we're just going to talk about other NAB stuff. So for MixingLight.com, I'm Robbie Kerman. I'm Patrick Inhofer. I'm Dan Moran, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.